Amen and amen. All right, if your children haven't had a chance to get their list to the Malat brothers yet, they'll be available after the service. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Amen. Appreciate you saying he claws. Amen, amen. I enjoy them. Man, they just, got, they just got the image there. They're awesome. Amen. They must be on vacation, though. He's wearing blue. I don't know what his deal is. All right, good. Amen and amen. Ezekiel 11, please. Ezekiel 11, where Brother Williams had us just a moment ago. I know oftentimes we get to the book of Ezekiel, and sometimes because it is a larger book of prophecy, it can be a little bit, uh, a little bit maybe long, or maybe not understood it very, understanding very well when we read it. But if we take some time and look at it, he gives us some dates in there, and so we know approximately the time that he's saying what he's saying. And, and uh, uh, he's, he does have some prophecies in here, but God can use this book so strongly in in a Christian's life. <clears throat> it's meant for uh, God's people here. And uh, we know that Ezekiel was uh, in Babylon during the captivity with the, the Jews. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had come to Jerusalem. And he had taken, the, taken those uh, Jews in Jerusalem and had hauled them off into captivity. And he had set up another king, uh, the, uh, the actual king that was supposed to be on the throne. He set up his uncle, uh, Zedekiah, there on the throne for a little while and took off all the... Of course, all the uh, royalty and the royal seed and, and everybody that was worth taking and had taken them into captivity. And Zedekiah, uh, for the next 11 years, uh, would begin to rebel against him. Well, he came back and eventually completely destroyed the city, Nebuchadnezzar did. But Ezekiel went off into captivity with that first group that was taken. And we know that when he begins to prophesy in the beginning of Ezekiel, it says he was five years into the time of captivity, of Jehoiachin's captivity. That was the king's, uh, uh, the king's captivity there. And so when we get to chapter 11, he's somewhere approximately within seven years in, into that captivity. They've now been slaves in Babylon for s- approximately seven years. A few chapters before this, he talks about six and a half years. A few chapters after it, he talks about approximately seven and a half years. And so somewhere around seven years at this point. And uh, when you know it, they're in captivity because of their sin. Yet God didn't leave them. They're in captivity because of choices they had made and God never left them. He allowed them to go into captivity. He took their hand, his hand of blessing off of them and a, and a heathen king came in and took them into slavery, into captivity. But yet we find in verse 16, he says, Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off from among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. He said, I'm still here. I'm still with you. Praise God for the Holy Spirit of God as we that are saved, that we have the Spirit of God. And even though we make choices in our life that, that God would not be pleased with and that, that keep us distant from the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God is still within us. We, we, sometimes we grieve the Spirit of God, but He doesn't leave us. 
He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And uh, praise God for the Spirit of God that is with us. And here in the Old Testament, a different time here, obviously Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, and the Holy Spirit came and went as He pleased. But God was there with them. And He said, I'll be to you a sanctuary even among the heathen nations. Even among the heathen nations. And yet in verse 17, He's saying, I want restoration. What he's saying is, I want you to come home. You're scattered among the heathen. You're out here in bondage, and I'm ready for you to come home. I want you to come back. Notice verse 17, he says, Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. He he says, I want you to be restored. I want to bring you home. And I want us to be reconciled. You know that word reconciled mean? Two people coming back, being reconciled back? The Bible talks about that in the New Testament. That God wants to be reconciled with you and with me. How mankind, even... um, even though we were sinners and, and, and in our sin have, have been against and away from, from the Lord, our sin has kept us from, from uh, having that, that fellowship with God. He reconciled us by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross and pay for our sin debt. And, and he took that big veil, Brother Gewen, that big veil in the Jewish temple that separated mankind from the presence of God, that, that Ark of the Covenant that was in the temple. It represented the presence of God. And there was a big veil of the Holy of Holies that covered it. And, uh, and, it, and it kept people from going into the presence of God because Jesus hasn't paid for that yet. He hadn't paid the price yet. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil ripped in two from top to bottom. And God, Jesus Christ, gave access to God the Father. He gave access because God says, I want you to be reconciled to me. I want, you, I want you to be reconciled to me. Many of us know in time, uh, different times in our lives, we, we hear about people or perhaps we go through some family struggles and some different things. And sometimes people can be estranged from one another. And we're all for reconciliation. Amen? For reconciliation when we got to just swallow our pride and say, I love you. And I love you more than my rotten, stinking pride. And I can just put that aside and let's be reconciled. God's about reconciliation. He's about reconciliation between us and Him and about us together. Amen? Reconciliation, my friend. Amen. Between family members, between friends, between church members, reconciliation. Amen? Look at verse number 20 here. It's what he's talking about. He says, That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, look at this now, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Reconciliation right there. That we will be back to where we ought to be. Now reconciliation, in order for that to happen, he says we need revival. We need revival. Look at verse 19. He's calling for revival here before that reconciliation. Look at verse 19. 
and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Now, Pastor John, what's that talking about? There's a lot of words in there, and I'm not sure what all that means. When he says one heart, I will give them one heart. You remember the, the, the Jews at this point had been divided for a long time. Remember, there was two separate kingdoms. Remember, under uh, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom was divided. And there was the northern kingdom that kept the name Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom that, kept, that took the name Judah. And they had been divided for a long time. And, and the northern kingdom had gone off by the Assyrian captivity, and they had been gone for a while. And then the southern kingdom had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And even among them, there was division. And he says, I want to give you one heart. What that means and what he's talking about, he's talking about unity. Unity. I want to give you unity once again. I want you to have one heart, one goal, one direction. Oh, wouldn't it be great if a husband and wife in here would have unity? That husbands and wives would be on the same page, working together in the same direction for their children and how they're raising them and what they believe and what the rule is and what the discipline is and they'd be on the same page. So children would be on the same page so that, that daddy wouldn't have one rule and mommy another one and it would be confusion. Oh, for unity in the home. Oh, for unity in the church. You know how the devil's going to get us? This church has been going for a long time. This church is strong. This church has got a, 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 some strength to it because of the years and because of the size and because of the people that are in it. But you know how the devil's going to get us? He's gonna, if he comes inside here and gets division and gets us divided and start fussing against one another, that's how he's going to destroy a church. And if we've got some bickering and, and, and stuff going on inside the church, and that unity is, is being divided there, let's, let's kick it to the curb and let's get rid of it because the devil's trying to divide, is trying to conquer the church with division. I've seen it before. Perhaps some of you have seen it where, where uh, uh, just a disagreement or, or this, and it's over the silliest things. You know in history, people, families have been divided over the dumbest things. And we're talking about a silly little opinion, little stuff, and we get divided. God's saying, I'm going to give them, a, 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 give them one heart. We're going to bring back unity. The next phrase, he says, I will put a new spirit within you. A new spirit, that, that word spirit, it's talking about a breath. It's talking about air or wind as when God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul when he gave him that breath of life. He says, I'm going to put into you a new spirit. That's a revival right there. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, remember God gave him a choice? Said, God said, there's a, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and don't eat of the fruit of there, thereof. He says, when you eat the fruit thereof, you're surely going to die. And a lot of folks say, well, God must not have meant that because they lived for like 900 years. Adam lived a long time, did he not? He lived a real long time. But God said, in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now we understand that when we, we realize that Adam was a triune being, and I've talked to you about this, body, soul, and spirit. And Adam died that day spiritually when he took of that fruit. He died spiritually. And we are born in this world physically, but we're dead spiritually. 
Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, ye who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says, I want to put a new spirit within you. I want to give you life. I want to breathe into you that breath of life and I want to see you get revived again. Amen. Woo! Now, now here it is. If you're saved this morning, if you're saved, you don't need, you've already got life. But a lot of times we get distant. Don't we? We get cut off. We get cut off from the source. With me? We get cut off from the source. And I know I got some, I got some people medical in here and some different people that, that understand these kind of things. When you get cut off from oxygen, what happens? Woo! You, man, you start getting, you start, woo, start turning colors. And you, eventually your heart's going to stop beating because your heart is, the reason for the heart beating is, is it's pumping oxygen to all parts of your body. Every single cell in your body needs oxygen and needs nutrients. And that blood is pump, or that heart is pumping that blood, carrying all that. There's life in the blood. And as soon as you stop breathing, we stop getting oxygen into that blood, then the heart starts to fail. And when the heart starts to fail, everything else starts to fail because it's not getting the nutrients. He says, I want to put a new spirit within you. I want you to have life again. I want you to be revived again. Amen? Amen. Church family, we need some revival. We need to start breathing again. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going through the motions. Yeah, we're going through the motions. And, and, and we know how to run the buses. We know that they had to be started this morning. And they, we know they had to be filled up this morning. We know that, that, that we had to go pick up the kids. We know how to do the work. Yeah, one step in front of the other. Right? We knew how to put our shoes on today. We knew that somebody had to open and unlock the door and turn the lights on today. We knew that, you know, if, if, I, if I didn't come to choir and, and smile for Pastor John, he'd look at me with a dumb face. You wonder what I'm doing up here and you see the back of my head, I'm making faces at him. That's what I do because I'm trying to get him to smile. Right? But we, oftentimes we go through the motions. We're going through the motions almost like a robot. Where's that life? He says, I want to put a new spirit within you. I want to see you breathing again. I want to see you doing it for real right here because it is real, not just going through the motions. Not going through the motions, but being real. He says, I want to, I want to see you be revived, that spirit within you. Look at the rest of the verse in verse 19. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Now, consider that for a moment. A stony heart. Think, think of a stone I can hold in my hand right here. It's grayish in color. It's hard. It's coarse. It's cold. That's exactly right. There's no life in that. There's no life in that. Think about a big rock this morning. It, it, the, the rock is, is not really, it's not going to feel the, cold, the, the cool air blowing on it. A cold a rock that's lifeless is not going to feel the, a warm touch. A, cold, a big a rock here, and, and, and if I drop it in the water, it's not going to float. It's got no oxygen. It's going, to, it's going to sink right to the bottom. It's got no life. It's dead. And what God's saying here is I want to take that out of you, and I want to give you something 
that's real and that has life to it. I want you to consider for a moment if my arms were made of stone. Hopefully they'd be in a good, you know, position like. But let's say they're not. Let's say they're just here and they're just stone, right? They're just made of stone. Can I move them? No, they're made of stone. Right? Just think about what I was just talking about with a stone. If I had arms that were made of stone, I can't move them. I'd make it a little awkward, like trying to tie my shoes. Hopefully my teeth work. I'm not so flexible anymore. Amen? Especially after Thanksgiving. Right? Maybe my kids could tie my shoes. All right, maybe I can get by it. Maybe my kids can tie my shoes. But I got these arms. And then my wife wants to take my arm walking today. I, would, I wouldn't feel it, would I? I wouldn't feel her touch. And she would, instead of having, having warmth up against her and, and feeling it when she took my arm, she'd just feel cold and coarseness. What do you think it's like when, when a husband is cold and dead spiritually and a wife trying to, trying to be, uh, come up against him and, and, and go to church together and she knows that you're far from God and you're cold and you're dead. It's the same exact thing. Think about when I hold my children, when I wrestle with them or snuggle with them and, and, they, and I, I, I couldn't feel their warmth and their, and their skin. When they, they hang on me and all that such now think about having arms of flesh. All of a sudden, blood's pumping through it. All of a sudden, it's got color to it. It's got that tan or that pinkish color. It's not stony gray. It's, I can move them. There's life again. And I can feel the cool breeze that I could use right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm getting a little warm. Right? I can feel a cool breeze and I'll step out the door. And, and I, could feel, I could feel my wife's touch. I could feel my children's touch. God says, that's what I want to give you. I want to give you a heart of flesh that pumps blood, that's real, that's living, that's alive. Because we're dead. And he's talking to his people. He's talking to his people. Saying, you, you are so cold and dead. Think about those Pharisees in the New Testament. They, Jesus coming and, and they would just criticize and they'd say all this stuff. He says, he says you, you've got eyes, but you're blind. You've got ears, but you, you can't hear. It's because they're dead inside. They're cold and like a heart of stone. And that's me and that's you sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's us. That's any one of us at any time. If we're not hooked to the source and getting fed. And sometimes we can be hooked to a source and just going through motions, but we're really not taking it in. You know what I'm saying? It's like a, like a kid sitting down at Thanksgiving feast, and he's there, and he's got it all, but he's not really taking it in. He's being a little picky. And sometimes, because we get distracted and we get doing all these other things, and we're not taking it in, we're not getting fed, we might, we're, we're around the source, we come to the church, we've got the Word of God in our hand, but we're really not taking it in, and we've allowed ourselves to get distant and cold and dead. God says, I want you to have revival. I want you to have life again. 
Now we see that in verse 19. We see God's restoration that he wants in verse 20 is reconciliation rather in verse 20. We see the revival that he wants in verse 19. But something is standing in the way. Something's standing in the way of of having revival and having that reconciliation with God. Why, Why is it that even though we have missions conference and have church uh, several nights during the week, and why is it that when, when uh, a men of God are praying and, and pleading with the Lord to do something special in, in the preaching time, and we'd have great, uh, great Thanksgiving service, and there'd be singing praises and testifying and, and hear the preaching of the Word, but we're still so cold and we're just still so dead and so distant from the Lord. Lord, why don't I feel revival? Why don't I? Why am I not getting anything? Why am I not feeling the presence of God in my life? And why is this the way it is? It just feels stale. It feels stagnant. Feel dead. You ever been there? I have. Yeah. Lord, why? How come that guy's all fired up and I'm just bleh? How can it be that Brother Martini is bouncing all over the place and, and excited about this and, and God, you're working in his life and look at his family and look at this and look at that and here I am and I'm just, Bleh. and I'm spinning my wheels and I can't get nowhere. Why is that? It's because of the verse right before it. That's why. You know why we're not having Revival. Because we're not having repentance. Look at the verse right number four. Look at this. Look at what God says. Verse 18. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. First, they're going to repent of their detestable and abominable things. See that? And then, verse 19, and I will give them one heart. You know why we're not unified? Because we're too full of sin. Because we're fooling around with stuff and distracted with the world and we're holding on to things that we ought not be a part of. That's why we're not having revival. That's why we're not really unified the way we ought to be. That's why we're not having that that new spirit within us and having life and and excitement and and revival going on where we're seeing the power of God. We're seeing bus routes just completely filled and and scores of people out sowing and people getting saved every single week and lining up to get baptized. Why are we not seeing it? Because of me. Because though I'd love to see all that stuff, I'm too busy back in 18, never had repentance. I got all this stuff right here figured out, and I got looking good on the outside, but over here I'm hanging on to one thing. I'm hanging on to one thing over here that I said, God, that's mine. And you can't have it. And God's calling it detestable, abominable things. Well, when we shake our fists like this and say, God... That thing belongs to me. You can have all this other stuff, but that one thing belongs to me. That's what we're doing right there. It's detestable and it's abominable in his sight because we're just basically raising our fist to God and saying, you can't have that. Might be some grandma and grandpas in here saying, well, God, you can't have my grandchildren. 
and they're getting all excited and say, I want to go, I want to be a missionary for God, and I want to do this thing, and you're taking cold water and just dumping it right on that flame. Saying, you don't want to do that. There's, you don't want to do that. Then you, you find so many excuses to talk them out of it, and we just dump water right on the flame that God's doing. Got, moms and dads, you've got to be careful. You can do that so easily with teenagers. See, teens go to camp or they have a revival or something in the school and they get all excited and fired up for God and then mom and dad won't drive them to, so they can ride on the bus. Won't get them there. Or won't bring them to, to soul winning or won't bring them to, to Christian school when they're working so hard to stay in it. With me now? Yeah, moms and dads, we can, we can uh, because we won't get our act together, we can, put, we can put water right on the flame of a young person that's trying to do something for God. Man, husbands can do the same thing to a wife that's starting to get fired up. Put water right on that flame. And a wife can do it so much to a husband as well. Amen. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. Young people, be careful now. Be careful, I was there. And I looked good on the outside. But I had that one or two things that I was holding on to and I couldn't let go. Because of that, I wasted my teenage years. I wasted it being in the flesh, being in my sin that I wouldn't give to God. And it goes from there. When they won't let go, it goes into the college age. It goes into the early 20s and the mid-20s. And before you know it, you're 40, and you're still holding on to that same old sin that you never gave to God, and you're wasting your life. Wasting your life. God said, I want to use you. I want to use you. Here recently... Uh, preaching in, in chapel at the school and I enjoyed what God gave me because it was a visual illustration I was able to help the kids with. And in sec, I believe it's 2 Timothy, might be 1 Timothy, he talks about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And God calls us a vessel that he wants to use. We need to be empty so he can fill us and use us. But not only being empty, we got to be clean. And he talked about having vessels of honor versus vessels of dishonor. And I put a couple two liters, three two liters up here on the, on the pulpit. And at first it was over in the teens and was putting them over there. I think I used the piano and put them up there. And they were, they were all clean water, all three. And uh, you could see the two liter bottles and they were all clear water. And I said, now here, and I named, we named them. We all had different names. I don't remember their names now. but And uh, said, here's this guy over here. And, and uh, he gets introduced to a little bit of sin. Had some dirt. Just sprinkled the dirt right in the two liter. And then this guy says, hey, hey, won't you? And he's talking to his friend and says, won't you come with me? And this friend says, sure. And he sprinkled a little dirt in there. And then this friend over here says, no, God wouldn't want me to do that. And he keeps himself pure and holy from that. We're talking about real life stuff with the teenagers over there. We're talking about being introduced to things like pornography and, and going running and running and out and about with girlfriends and boys and girls in the same car and no supervision and a bunch of filth going on. Real life stuff. It's talking about keeping their purity until they get married because that's what God wants. That's what God wants. And was dumping dirt and, and other things in those bottles and after a while and... and uh, all of them getting a little, uh, they're a little older now and they want to have revival and, and, and they want to they be used of God. And so we put the caps back on and we shook up the bottles. 
And here this one had been filthy and just junk in his life and just so dirty, had so much stuff in there. And then this one had done some stuff, but some stuff he said no to. And then this one over here had kept himself clean. And we shook up those bottles. And one was so dark and mucky and nasty looking. I mean, nasty stuff. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't even let your dog drink it. And then one was pretty cloudy, looked like crick water or something like that. Uh, something that you, you know, you, you wouldn't serve that at your table. You might let your dog drink it. You might feed it to your calves or something, but you, you ain't going to drink it. And then one was clean. And I said, I invite a bunch of people over to my house, and which one am I going to give them water out of? The clean. And God wants to use you, and he's calling you to do something. Which ones he want to use? Not everybody, now, now God can use all three. He can water the garden with a nasty one. He might dump it in for the, for, the, for the pigs, but I doubt it. But he could water the grass with it. The second one, sure, he'd let the cows and the pigs drink out of it, but he's not, probably not even going to let his dog drink out of that. But this clean one here, we can serve this at the table. And what the problem is, the choices that we make in life they limit us on how we can serve God. If you didn't realize that, if you, the deacons are held to a standard in the Word of God. And they have to, they have to uh, uh, line up with this thing, what God tells them that they have to be, and they can't dirty themselves and, and be unclean before God past a certain point. They have to live, it's the same thing with a pastor. Look at these guys on the platform. There's a, before we ordain somebody in this, as a pastor in the ministry of God, the gospel of God, there's a, there's a lineup here of what they have to be like. Now, not everybody can be a pastor and be a deacon. Say, well, I've had a pretty rough life and you don't understand all this stuff, but God can still use you. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that God can't use you, but there are some limitations once we've gone past certain points. What I'm preaching about today is getting rid of sin. Getting rid of the filth. Getting rid of the junk that we hold on to. God says, you don't have revival and you're not going to be reconciled with me because you won't let go of your nasty sin that I've told you to let go of. And he's calling for us to have repentance so that we can have revival and we can be reconciled back to him. That's what he's calling right here, right now. He said, your, your, your heart is that stony heart, and it's cold, and it's dead. First of all, the first thing you got to do is you got to get on this altar, and you got to repent of some sin and let it go. What is it in my life that is keeping me from having revival with my God? Is it the kind of movies I'm watching? Could be introducing all that junk into your life and God's saying, get rid of that stuff. That's the world. Not that all movies are sin, but there's a lot of them that are. Be careful. Moms and dads, we got to understand the things, this, this realm of internet and what our young people are putting into their eye gates and their ear gates and we don't even know anything about it. You can get so much more filth in your home than you can anywhere else nowadays when it's unsupervised, when we don't know what's going on. 
when young people got their phones to on till 4 a.m. and we don't even know about it. Careful, moms and dads. Be careful with that. I'm not here to tell you what to do in your own home, but it might be a good idea that we put some, some rules in place. Maybe they got to get charged out on the kitchen counter or something. We put some rules in our place. I'm not here to tell you what to do with all that stuff. I'm just telling you to understand these things that it's real and it's happening and young people are destroying their lives with their telephone because they have access to everything the devil wants to give them. And so does a man, a grown man and a grown woman. Come on, church. We've got some detestable, abominable things that we're holding on to that we won't let go of, and that's why we're not having revival. What happened to the good old days when, you know, uh, Billy Sunday would come into town and you'd see this big tabernacle erected and, and built for that purpose and all these people would be getting saved and walking this all dust trail and, and the whole town would have revival. It's because we're too involved in sin nowadays. And there was always sin. But churches, we're not, we're not, we, don't, we don't see repentance anymore. We don't see people truly getting clean. I'm talking about a burn barrel outside and people bringing up their music and just throwing it in there. It's all digital now, so it's all under wraps and nobody knows where it all is. Well, maybe we just take that iPod or whatever it is and throw it in there. Get some good stuff to replace it. Whatever it takes. I know I've hit on this quite a bit, but I'm telling you in this sanctuary right now, especially in the category of men, Pornography is rampant, and it's real, and it's destroying your mind. Young people, you'll never, you'll never be satisfied completely because you're so busy in the junk that you'll have things in your mind, and you won't ever, you won't ever get free of that. One day you want to get married, and your love of your life, and then you have expectations and all this junk. Get rid of that stuff. Ask somebody for help if you're having trouble with it. Go to your youth pastor. Come to me and say, help me with it. Dad, same thing. Grandpas, it's beyond that now. It's in the ladies too now. Get help if you need it. Get rid of that junk. Yeah. You know it's another big one? Real quick. The stinking pride. Well, I'm not, I, I don't deal with this pornography stuff, but we've got a whole lot of pride we're hanging on to. Do you believe what he said to me? Well, who am I? I'm a sinner and deserve hell. Come on now, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. And yet I, I'm, letting, I'm letting my pride keep me from going to that Sunday school class because so-and-so's in there. Or I'm letting my pride keep me from doing that because the preacher said I ought to do that. Or I'm letting this thing or that thing and our stinking pride keeps us from doing so much. I'll say no to Brother Williams or, 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 or to Brother Horton or somebody else that wants me to do something in the church because you know what? I can do some things, but I don't need to do that. That's rotten, stinking pride what that is. I serve the King of Kings and whatever he wants me to do, I'll do it. 
try, in our staff meetings, you know what we talk about? There's nothing around this property that I cannot do. If there's a tool that needs scrubbed, I'll scrub it. Because there's nothing I shouldn't be able to do. If vacuum, the floor needs vacuum, let me do it. Yeah, come on now. We need to crawl under the buses, Brother Martini, and work on them and get grease on our face and whatever we got to do, we're going to do it. Because I'm not above that. Because I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Jesus was trying to teach me that when he washed the disciples' feet. Here he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the guy, the man, that, that, the, the God that, cre- that designed and created all those feet. And here these men had been walking these nasty, dusty roads and sweaty and all that nastiness, and he got down on his hands and knees and scrubbed them. He said, I'm a servant. It's not about my pride. It's about me serving you. Amen? Come on now. It's pride. Is it, is it our pride that's keeping us from having revival? Is it us ignoring the Holy Spirit of God? Get my track out. That person needs a track. Yeah, that person, I like Jesus. Yeah. That little boy needs a little zipper. Let me know what to do. And we ignore the Holy Spirit of God. We ignore him. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. Why are we not having a revival? Because we're holding on to our way. The Bible talks about mortifying the flesh. That literally means killing the flesh, dying to myself. On the way to church this morning, me and Addiebel were riding together, and I was praying openly with her and just saying, Lord, let my way be poured out right now. My plan for the service, my plan for the day, the way I've got it laid out, let me just dump that out right now. My way, my plan, Lord God, allow that to get out of the way because whatever you want, use me. How can God fill a cup that's already full? He's not going to. When I I dump that cup out and then I rinse it out and wipe it out and clean it, and then God can use an empty, clean vessel for however he wants to use it. Amen? Amen. You know why we're not having revival? Because we don't have any repentance. We don't have repentance. God wants to see us reconciled. He wants to see us do. He, if God was done with Shenandoah, why, why are we still going? Why is he still blessing? Why are we still picking up kids on the bus? Why are we still going, going soul winning and seeing people saved? But we're not doing all that we can do because we're so full of ourselves and full of our sin. It's time to have revival, church. Time this Christmas to have revival. Amen? Let's bow together, please. Lord.